You're listening to Church on the Park Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. lead you in a prayer. Father, I want to ask for your abundant grace today. Pour out your grace. Anoint my lips with grace. Let your river of life flow. Let us hear your voice today. Be glorified, be praised, and help equip us so that we can make disciples. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Can you guys hear me back there? You guys can hear me back there, Peter? You can hear me? That's good. I believe what's next. The message this morning is entitled, I Believe What's Next. And over these uh, couple months, we've been talking about tools, tools so that we can share the good news, but also tools to help out young believers, tools to help out young believers. So I want to lead you in a prayer and then read our main text for today. So if you can put your hands on your hearts and pray nice and loud with me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart and change my life in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So Matthew 28, 17 through 20, Matthew, 7, Matthew 28, 17 through 20, when they saw him, that's Jesus, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. These were the 11 disciples. Judas had betrayed him. He's not there anymore. And we have the 11 disciples. And these are Jesus' last words before he's ascending to heaven. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So the theme this morning is you can help a new believer get a firm foundation by teaching them five things. These five things that I'm going to share with you. So how can you help a new believer? And how can you give a young Christian a firm foundation? Today I'm going to share with you Five ways you can show new believers how to start right and keep strong to the end. Believing in Jesus is the beginning of a lifelong journey. And Jesus has called and commanded each one of us to make disciples. 
So we shouldn't fob it off to pastors and leaders to do it. Each one of us needs to rise to the occasion. Take responsibility to pass on our faith to others. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I'm, I feel in my spirit to prepare everybody for a big harvest. There is a great harvest coming into God's kingdom. We all need to be ready for that harvest. And God is going to use us, like Lizzie was saying, to a birth to birth the harvest, to birth people into the kingdom. And we do that through prayer and intercession. That's not our focus today. Our focus is more on what we teach them from the word. But we need to be engaged in that prayer and intercession. Now, here's something I find interesting about the text we just read. Jesus gives this great commission to some who are doubtful. Jesus gives this great commission to some who were doubtful. And I haven't heard many preachers highlight the double-mindedness and the doubt that was in the early disciples. My pastor, though, would often refer to this. I'll just read the beginning again. Sometimes we hear the scripture, but we don't hear it the first time. So I'll read this part again. And they saw him. They worshipped him, but some were doubtful. So here it is, they're worshipping Jesus, but there's some doubt in their heart. The Greek here is there's some, some double-mindedness double or bouncing between two things or uh, going between two different thoughts. That's the idea behind this. They worshipped, but some were doubtful. How could this be? How could they be doubtful? Here is the resurrected Jesus himself. This is after the resurrection. He is there in the flesh. He's been manifesting himself to them. He has been telling them all about his kingdom. And here it is after the physical resurrected Jesus is right before them that they're still doubting. Are you hearing this? This is how deep, how deep doubt can run in our sinful nature. And yet Jesus doesn't stop and say, okay, you guys are doubting me. You're worshiping me, but it's not, not totally pure. I'm out of here. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He gives them this great commission. Well, he's going to be out of here. He's going to be ascending to heaven. <laughs> But he's entrusting them. He's entrusting them with the kingdom. He's entrusting them with his words. He's entrusting them with the great commission, even though they got some issues. Even though they're doubting. And the thrust of the great commission is, I have all authority, Jesus is saying. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. History, amen. History tells us that these disciples ended up dying martyrs' deaths. And so 
somehow they resolved these issues. That was through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what are five, getting back to what we were saying before, what are five foundational things we need to lay in young believers, in the lives of young believers? What are five foundational things we need to lay in their lives? And I've made an infograph for this, and afterwards you can see it on brisbanefire.com, the infographic uh, section. This is a new one. It's not printed out yet. Uh, but if you're online, you can see it here. And afterwards, you can see it. Afterwards, you can go and get it. You can download it to your phone. And if you have my text messages, um, you'll receive a digital copy. And these are all part of tools to help us. So what's the first thing, the first thing that we need to teach a new believer. So someone says, I believe. What's next? So what's next? First thing we want to lay in their lives is this message of repent. Repentance. So first thing, repent. Say with me, repent. Matthew 4.17. Jesus says, he just begin, he's beginning to preach. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what is repentance? And I want you to know, you've, I'm sure you've heard of this, but I want you to know it's so much that you know how to guide a young believer in these things that we're talking about. And now first, repentance. Repentance is your response to God's work of saving you. Amen. Repentance is your response to God's work of saving you. Repent means to turn from your sin and turn to God's righteousness. So it means to turn from your sin to God's righteousness. And this work of repentance it begins at salvation but it needs to be practiced every day so in order for us to make a disciple what are we meant to do we're to teach them everything that Jesus has commanded we're meant to instruct them to teach them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded and what did Jesus command repentance he said repent and if you want to simplify that word, boil it down to its essential meaning, it means to turn. It means to turn from our ways to God's ways, from our sin and wickedness to his righteousness, from our dead works to his living work, from our works to his grace. This is what repentance is. And, and it's such a deep subject that I can't cover it all this morning. I'm just giving you a little taste. But in Bible school next semester, we have the foundations unit, and we'll cover it in depth uh, theologically and scripturally. And if you're interested in joining, commercial break. <laughs> Holyfireschool.com. And uh, you can register online there. It's starting the 2nd of August. 
So repentance begins at salvation. If we're going to make disciples, we need to be disciples. It means we need to be living this. And I need to repent every day. You might think, oh, yeah, my wife is saying amen. <laughs> I need to repent every day. I need to repent throughout the day. Every time in my heart, prayer, I'm turning back to the Lord. Because in our sinful nature, it's normal for us to drift away. That's our sinful nature. But we have another nature, and that is God's nature, Christ in us. He's always drawing us back to the Father. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And just like a compass. Let's remember that the prophets and the apostles preached repentance. And most of all, that Jesus began his ministry with calling for repentance. Some have even tried to say, well, repentance is not for today. It's the Old Testament. Well, the New Testament begins with it. The New Testament, the New Testament begins with the message of repentance. Not only that, it ends with the message of repentance. Because to the churches, to five of the churches that Jesus is speaking to, at the end of the Bible, he says, repent. He's calling them to repent. He's calling them to turn from their sinful way. So repentance is not just for unbelievers, as in the church some people have falsely taught, but it's for believers. It is for believers. It's, it's important for us to, again, practice daily repentance so we can teach it to others. Acts chapter 3, verse 26 says this. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. <laughs> so how, you know, we talk about blessing and I've been trying to talk about a scriptural understanding of blessing uh, by God's grace. But a lot of people, when they think of blessing, they only think of material things, nice things. And, of course, blessing is it's God's goodness toward us. And it empowers us, as we've learned. Notice what the apostles say here, or what it says here in Acts 3.26. And I believe this is Peter speaking. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you. But how is he going to bless you? Do you see it? Acts 3.26, are you there? He sent him to bless you. How? By turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Can I say that again? Our minds are alert this morning. Yep. Acts 3.26. God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. This is the greatest blessing is that we are turned from our wicked ways to God's ways. And we can see that when we talk about God's blessing, we're talking about grace. This is something God gives us unmerited 
without our works. He blesses us to be fruitful and multiply. But how can we be fruitful and multiply unless first we are turned from our wicked ways? So God's blessing is his grace toward us that turns us from our wicked ways. There's two types of repentance. There's our own repentance, and there's the repentance that comes by God's grace and power and the Spirit in your life. And true repentance comes when the Holy Spirit is present and active in your life. And when the Word of God is working in your life. Otherwise, you're just kind of just repenting because you feel guilty because you had a chocolate chip of cookie. And you really don't know the depth of your sin. But when we get the Word, the Word is like light. When we get the Spirit of God moving in our life, it's like fire. And so when I was a young believer, this began to work in my life, this repentance. And I would do something and feel terrible for days because I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't know how to walk in the ways of God. I didn't know what was right and wrong. And then the Holy Spirit is working in my life. The Holy Spirit is acting in my life. And then all of a sudden, I start to feel this deep conviction. So I repent and and all throughout my early walk, I needed to constantly and continually repent. And this is how my nature and character was changed. You know, I talked about God was dealing with my tongue when I was a young believer. And the way I spoke, how I spoke, the language I used. So God was dealing with my tongue. And then God was dealing with my eyes. What am I looking at? God was dealing with my ears. What am I listening to? God was dealing with my heart and the attitude. All of these things and as many, many things that the Lord was working repentance in my life. But it was, it was the work of the Holy Spirit within me. So repentance is a blessing. It's not a curse. It's not, oh, God is mean. A lot of people have thought that and talked, oh, God's mean. He says to repent. You know, like a mean. It's a kind word. It's God stretching out his hands and saying, turn to me. It's God's grace at work in your life. God's grace at work in your life. Now, listen to this. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensible, righteously, and godly in the present age. So just stop there. We'll pause there and just reflect for a moment. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And what does that grace of God do? What does that salvation do? It instructs us to, do, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensible, righteously, and godly in the present age, right here, right now. A lot of times we think salvation is all about getting to heaven. And of course, I want to get you to heaven, right? But it's about living a righteous life in this age. That is what brings multiplication in the kingdom. Then it goes on to say, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory 
of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and listen to this, and to purify, say the word purify, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Zealous for good deeds. So here we see what the grace of God is about, what salvation is about. So when you let the Word and the Holy Spirit work in your life, your response will be repentance. Daily, continual repentance lays a strong foundation in your life. And even here, as we're worshiping God, I'm repenting in my heart as I'm worshiping God. So when we worship God, it shouldn't be mindless singing of songs. It shouldn't be a mindless singing of songs. There should be something happening on it, the inside where we're turning to God, where we're repenting, where we're confessing our sins, where we may be praying and interceding for others, where we're receiving the word of God. There should be so much happening. That's why for one person, worship can be glorious, and for another person, it's boring. And the reason why it's boring is they're not interacting with the Holy Spirit. They're not interacting with the kingdom of God. But, oh, when you worship and you, you taste the kingdom of God, it's so powerful. It changes us. It's transformative. Yeah, repeat. Well, <laughs> I'll need to go back in the video. Thank you. Thanks, Patrick. But yeah, there is, when you're worshiping in the spirit, there's so much happening. Sometimes I'm here and I'm worshiping and we're in prayer and I'll receive a message for the next week, and it'll all come to me very quickly like that. Of course, then I have to research and study and pray through it, and, and, but, but the seed of it comes to me. And then it just, it all, because it's interacting with heaven, it's life. And when you have God's life working in you, God is the creator. It makes you creative and fruitful. And that creativity and fruitfulness overflows in your life. So what's the first thing we need to teach someone when they're coming to the Lord? Repent. Repent. The second thing is be baptized. Can you say that with me? Be baptized. Acts 2.37. Let me read it here. Acts 2.37. This is the day of Pentecost, and the word is preached. Peter was preaching, and the words are piercing the hearts of the people. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now, he's not saying here, what shall we do for salvation, but what should we do in response to God's Salvation, it's just here, what shall we do? What shall we do? And Peter makes it clear. Peter says to them, repent and each of you be baptized. Now that's a word that just means immersed. Immersed. So sometimes we have to take these words and just divest them of our religious understandings of them. Repent and each of you be immersed in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that next part later, but I just want you, we talked about repent, now we're talking about baptism or this immersion. Baptism is a sign of a new beginning, a celebration of your new life. Just like when we have a birthday, we're celebrating someone's life. That's how it should be. We should be celebrating God's goodness in their life. And we just had a great celebration of Gideon's birthday, his 21st, and we had a breakfast. And he didn't want a big party. We were planning a big party. Uh, we were pl about, for about a year, we've been talking about it, and we were going to get a little alleyway in the, in the uh, city and make it a New York theme because Gideon loves New York and get a New York theme and get different food trucks and, and invite a lot of people. But Gideon said, you know, I just want to be with my family and we'll have a breakfast. <laughs> kind of what a relief after we had a huge graduation last week. And so I was so blessed by all of you. Everybody was serving and helping. And you were very warm and gracious hosts because all these people now are in your church. <laughs> and you could be grumbling. Well, who are all these people? But I didn't see any grumbling. I saw a great heart. I saw a beautiful heart. I saw people serving. I even saw the, the uh, newer students serving the, the food. And everybody was doing something. And it was a great blessing. So thank you. I commend you. <laughs> so Gideon didn't want to have that big thing, but we had a nice breakfast. And we had the family together, and that was a beautiful time. Baptism, again, is a sign of a new beginning, a celebration of your life. It doesn't save you. Now, this is really important to know. It doesn't save you, but it confirms and publicly proclaims your salvation. So some people think that, oh, the baptism will save me. No, only Jesus and his blood and his grace saves you. What he did on the cross, that's what saves you. Your baptism is a response, and you're publicly proclaiming to the world, I have been saved. I believe in Jesus. I am his disciple. Being baptized is your first major act of obedience to Jesus. This is bold. It's out there. It's public. And in many countries where Christians are persecuted, they only see you as a real Christian once you get baptized. You get baptized and they're like, oh, that person's serious. But you're not getting baptized into a denomination. You're getting immersed into Jesus Christ. And you're becoming one with his people. Baptism memorializes your salvation. It sets it in stone. It also sets the tone of your life. So that you can always look back to that day and know that is when I gave my life fully to Jesus publicly. Now, of course, it happens in the heart first. Faith happens in the heart and then confession from the mouth and then you follow through with baptism. But it memorializes your salvation. It becomes a marker and a milestone in your life. It says to the world, I believe. 
It says to your family, I believe in Jesus. It says to God, I believe in, the, in your son whom you've sent. It says to yourself, I believe. And it says to the powers of darkness, I believe and I have taken my stand. Yeah, and I trust you. It symbolizes that God has washed you. So you're going in the water. It symbolizes that God has washed you. But also means you're married to Christ's death and resurrection. So you're being immersed into his death and resurrection. So it's a marriage. It's a funeral. And it's a birthday. <laughs> All at the same time. It's a beautiful time. And that's why we like to make a great occasion of people who are getting baptized. Repent is the first thing. Be baptized is the next. The third thing you want to teach a young believer is receive power. Say that with me. Receive power. Now, this is going to... Uh, well, we go back, let's go back to uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 37. The ones who were convicted, they said, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter says, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So notice that the promise of the Holy Spirit is for your children, uh, for as many as God calls, everyone that God calls, calls, everyone who's far off. Uh, this promise, this gift of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. So then you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If we go there, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says this. They were debating about times. When's, this, when's the right time? Is the kingdom going to be restored to Israel right now? How's it all going to happen? And uh, this is, these are questions that often we ask even today. All these conspiracy theories, all when's the end going to come type of thinking. Verse 6 says, so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth, like, like Australia and New Zealand and the islands, the remotest part of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Receiving power is essential to being a Christian. So when you're born again, the Spirit of God lives in you. You have the Spirit of God in you. You have that gift. But there's also something more. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, 
totally receive the power of the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. So I was saved and I was born again and I believed in Jesus. And I was wondering, though, why is it so hard for me to obey? Why do I keep on tripping up? Why is it so hard for me to obey the scripture? And then I was at a kitchen table. And I want to encourage you, open up your homes. Because this is where the kingdom of God breaks out. It breaks out at kitchen tables, at homes, at cafes, in parks, wherever believers get together. And they talk, not just get together the gossip, they talk about the kingdom. And so there I was, and then there was uh, Stephen Hodgelik, and, and uh, it was in his home. He was uh, a guest at Kathy Colosi's house. And he began to talk to me and bring me through the book of Acts about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the immersion in the Holy Spirit, and, and talk about how the disciples received power and the new believers received power when they received the Holy Spirit. And so he began to bring me through all of this. And I was like, you know, I knew there was something more for me. I knew there was something more, and I knew I was struggling. And they all got around me, and they laid hands on me in the kitchen, and they prayed for me. And there was no demonstration of me speaking in tongues at, at first or anything like that. I just received it, and I said, yes, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit now. <laughs> but then I went home in the car, and I just began to, I spontaneously began to pray in tongues and speak in tongues and begin to pray. And I used to keep up my youth pastor till late hours at night. He had a young family, and I used to, this is Stephen Hodgelick, and I used to keep him up asking him question after question after question. He'd come home at one in the morning to his wife and kids. I didn't realize it back then, but uh, oh, Glenn kept me up, you know, asking me all these questions. But here's what happened when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Lord himself began to answer my questions. So he gave me wisdom and understanding. Now, we all need to ask questions. It's important. But something supernatural happened. And now I had power to overcome sin. I had power from on high. So the Holy Spirit was already in me, but I needed to be filled. Again, we have a little bottle here. We got a little water in here. I could use a little drink. And when you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. But the goal is that this whole bottle is immersed in the Spirit. So the Spirit is surrounding you and infilling you. So again, the Christian life is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. And the good news is that your heavenly Father is more than willing to give you his power. Amen. Again, it's all by grace. It's not like, hey, you know, you're not good enough to receive the power. You're not going to be good enough unless you receive the power of God. How can you live without God's power? How can you live the, the holy, righteous standard of God's word? How can you be like Jesus in your own strength? It's impossible. You need the same spirit that he had. It's his Holy Spirit. It's the very same spirit that Christ walked in. And so the Father is willing. It, what was that? It's not negotiable. Yeah, it's not negotiable. The Father is more than willing to give you his power. Ask for his Holy Spirit to fill you. Oh, look at this. 
Now we got a new bottle. It's filled. And let me go back to what I was saying before about repentance. Repentance is something you practice daily. Living a baptized life is something you live daily. You need to be daily immersed in Jesus. And this is the same thing that goes for the immersion of the Holy Spirit. Because you're pouring yourself out in love and service. And uh, what did Charles Spurgeon say? He, he leaked, so he needed to be continually filled. I believe it was Charles Spurgeon. You can double check me. But we need to continue. Every day we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sadly, Pentecostals have made it about just a one-day event and experience. It's got to be every day. <laughs> We've got to be filled with the Spirit every day. So we need power. We need to walk in the Holy Spirit's power. And the Holy Spirit active and present in your life will remove doubt and double-mindedness from you. So ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you. Say, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit and just expect to receive his Holy Spirit. Yeah, wait. Oh, how precious you are to me, Holy Spirit. This, this should be our, our attitude. You may even want to ask a mature believer to lay hands on you and pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what happened with me. Yes, don't, you, don't we all go to a petrol station, put in the nozzle, and while it's being filled, we wait? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we go to a petrol station, we put the nozzle into our vehicle, and we wait for it to be filled. Same thing for us. We need to wait to be filled with the Spirit. And this is what prayer is about. This is what secret prayer is about. This is what we should be doing when we're gathering together. This is what we need to be practicing. At work, too, we're at work and there's all stuff going on. Take a moment and say, Oh, Father, fill me once again with your Spirit. I need your power. So the first thing we're teaching is repent. Second, and these all go together. They're all one. Repent and then be baptized and then receive power. The fourth thing is learn and grow. Say that with me. And, and we're almost finished here because there's five things. Learn and grow. If you, if you read Acts chapter 2 verse 40 through 47... Look at after uh, they're baptized, or, or it's going to be happening. It's going to be happening right here, uh, verse 40. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Let me just stop right here. I am believing for a mighty harvest. I'm believing that there's going to be a multitude of souls coming into the kingdom. And I'm preparing resources and I'm preparing you so that when they come in, we are ready to teach and it will be too much for the leaders to do it all. Every one of us need to be leaders. Every one of us need to reach out. And even before a mighty harvest comes in, 
how precious it is when just one soul comes to the Lord. So look for that one. Look for the ones and twos. Look for the people around you. Verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Notice that devotion to what? The apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. There's been prophesied for a long time that this is the great south land of the Holy Spirit. Many people have prophesied that the final revival will happen in Australia. I've been here for 22 years, and now I said, if, if a revival is coming to Australia, it's only going to be by God's grace. <laughs> it's going to be by God's grace, but God is going to use you. You're going to be the instruments. You're the, the hungry ones. And I be, I'm believing that there is that mighty harvest now we come back to this. Notice how they're, they're learning and growing. The most dangerous thing a Christian can do is stop learning and growing. But they're devoted to the apostles' teaching and to prayer, prayer and the breaking of bread and to fellowship. And so they are being discipled. That's what it means to be discipled. You're growing and you're learning. Being a disciple is a lifelong thing. You never graduate. I didn't hear too many amens here. Amen. Being a disciple is a lifelong thing. You never graduate. And we just had the graduation here for the Bible school. And dad, Anna's father and Lizzie's dad was exhorting them, exhorting all the graduates standing here. He was standing well, maybe right about here, and he's exhorting them. And he's saying, this is not the end, this is the beginning. I have found that sometimes the Bible school students struggle after graduation. And the reason why they struggle is because they think that after they graduated, it's, it's like university. And once you're finished, you don't need to learn more. But that's not true. Any Bible school, any good Bible school is setting a foundation for learning, growing, and serving in your life. It's not a beginning. Uh, sorry, it is a beginning, not an end. It is a beginning. It is a beginning. It's a beginning, not an end. You'll always struggle if you're not continuing to learn and grow. Even for this semester that's coming up. What is it? I got the card here. Is your faith stormproof? Is your faith stormproof? And then on the back, make sure your foundation is rock solid. This is what the Lord gave to Anna for the semester. But even as we're preparing uh, this, or even in the break here, I'm studying and seeking God every day for this semester. I am learning. So one, one student came up to me a while ago and said, uh, you know, I know everything that you're, uh, that you're teaching, so I don't need to be here. I said, I don't even know everything I'm teaching. <laughs> every, every week, every week God is teaching me, and, and I'm growing and learning, and I'm 
wanting to continue to grow and learn so that I can continue to teach. And that's why there's a passion and a freshness because I don't want to be just teaching old material. It needs to be fresh from heaven. And this is for every one of our lives. There needs to be a constant learning and growing. And so we've got to teach our young disciples that we need to continue to learn and grow to be disciples. The new believers in the early church were so excited. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We have this teaching recorded in the Bible. This is the apostles' teaching. What they were teaching from was the Scripture, and we have what they taught. And that's why we also are devoted to Scripture. These young believers in the book of Acts They became disciples of Jesus, and they journeyed with Jesus to learn and to grow. And you also have been chosen to be a lifelong disciple of Jesus. So this is going to be a strong foundation in your life if you're constantly learning and growing. And then you're able to teach others. And one of the things is teaching others actually helps you to learn. So having some young disciple, it could be your child, it could be your neighbor, it could be anybody that's hungry. Having somebody that you're teaching and guiding, according to the word, you don't want to be controlling their life, okay? You're a servant. But having somebody, then you learn through that whole process as well. And we all should be teaching one another in a humble way. How are you guys going? Good. So we talked about repent, be baptized, receive power, learn and grow. And the last thing is five, fellowship. Say that nice and loud, fellowship. I'm glad, glad that the house of God is full this morning. Last week it was really full. That was it. We had, we had people all over there, and there was people all over there, and all the seats, and we were able to. It's not just having 150 or so people come. We fed every one of them, and so that's some that's some task. But again, I was very proud of you. What does Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 say? Let me read this to you, and you would have heard it, but it's something, again, that's foundational. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We see that in the early church when they, they were baptized and they were filled with the Spirit that they devoted themselves to fellowship. So I believe the area of fellowship is one of the greatest areas of deception in the modern church. Are you listening to me? On one hand, people idolize fellowship. And instead of having their own personal relationship with God, it's all coming out of fellowship. It's the fellowship, the church becomes an idol. If the church is your idol, you'll find very soon that that idol is going to come tumbling down. 
and break into pieces. And then you're going to be like, oh, my. And then what usually happens is someone then withdraws themselves from fellowship. They ignore it. So at first they may idolize the fellowship because there's such power in it. There's such, such grace that flows through fellowship, especially for a new believer, that's easy for us to idolize it. And then somehow something smashes our hopes and then we ignore fellowship. And then we think, I can do this just me and Jesus. But that's not what the New Testament is about. We have to watch out for both of these errors of idolizing fellowship and ignoring fellowship. Fellowshipping with other believers is one of the great joys of our new life in Christ. Because you are part of a family, and this family is called the church. But again, with any family, there's going to be some issues and conflicts, and there's going to be some pains because it's family. But this is where you learn grace. This is where you learn forgiveness. This is where you learn love. This is where you learn mercy. This is where you learn that I need the power of the Spirit to just love my brothers and sisters. <laughs> I need Jesus. And so fellowship is so important. And what's happened now is there's a whole generation of Christians. There's lots of Christians in Brisbane. When I pray over Brisbane, the Lord tells me there's so many of my people here, but most of them are disconnected. And their, their relationship with the church is very casual. Imagine if all of them rose up and said, yes, Lord, I'm submitted to you and I'm going to be a blessing to the church that you have called me to. Yeah, it, will be, it would be an amazing move of God in Brisbane, but all throughout Australia, you're finding this all throughout, all throughout the whole church world. The foundation of fellowship is not strong. It's got to be strong. We need to pray that it's strong. It's, it's essential. It's important. And yes, it's going to try you, but it's going to make you more like Jesus. Now, this is not about a denomination but rather a community of people that you are committed to loving, helping, and serving. That's what fellowship is. Where are you serving? So instead of asking someone, where do you go to church? Where are you serving? <laughs> it's because that's the grace of God operating through your life. Again, yes, fellowship will challenge you. But it will also change you so that you become more like Jesus. So the very thing that will challenge you will change you to become more like Jesus. Amen. So there's five things that we've covered. See if you can remember the first one. Repent. Repent. What's the second one? Be baptized. Be baptized. What's the third one? Receive power. Receive power. What's the fourth one? Learn and grow. Learn and grow. Good. What's the fifth one? Fellowship. Fellowship. Now again, we need to model these things. Because if they see, if the young believer comes and they see that the older Christians don't take fellowship seriously, they don't take walking in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit seriously, they don't take learning and growing seriously, they're just casual about it, they will be like us. We can only reproduce after our own kind. So the seed has to be pure, untampered, potent like Jesus, yep. and then 
when they see that we're modeling this, they will also be like that. They will also be like the early church. And our, our desire is to be like that early church filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So practice these things and also teach these five things. And you'll lay a strong foundation for yourself and for new believers. So we talked about repentance and baptism and being filled with the Spirit and discipleship and fellowship. And you can find all these things summed up in that infographic, the latest one. I just put it out last night. Brisbanefire.com, you can see it there. Let's all stand and we're going to pray. Father, here we are. We are believing you for a mighty harvest of souls and disciples. We know that the prodigals are returning. And I believe the Father is saying the prodigals are returning. Don't be like the older brother. Reflect my heart. The prodigals are returning. Mothers in the Lord, rise up. Birth the new souls. Birth the prodigals coming home. Even the fathers. Paul said he, he, he groaned, travailed until Christ was formed into, in the Galatians. And so the Lord is calling his travailers now. There's a great harvest coming in. He's preparing us, his people. Lord, we just ask that you would bring a unity to the body of Christ. I thank you for that prayer meeting of all different churches at Suncorp Stadium this week that Anna got to be a part of and others. That all these different believers came together but just small compared to the whole Suncorp Stadium, just a, a small remnant. But we thank you for the beginning of you doing great things in our city. And we're asking that you move with revival fire all across Australia. Equip us, Lord. Train us, Lord. Let us be those who carry the message, those who carry the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm asking just during this time as of us responding to you that we would be immersed, immersed in your spirit, immersed in your power. I want to encourage you as we pray. I feel that the Holy Spirit wants me to encourage all of us. Go to, go to a cafe with somebody that's a seeker or a young believer Spend some time with them. Open up your home if you can open up your home. Reach out over lunch. Ask God to use you. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We'll just spend a few moments receiving.
God's grace uh, responding to the Lord. And uh, yeah, let's put this in practice. If you need to repent, well, the altar is here or you can, wherever you are, you can come forward. But let's put this into practice right now. Thank you, Jesus.